Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program provided by Living Stream Ministry and featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. These two were faithful slaves of the Lord during their entire Christian lives and have become patterns to us of ones that counted all things lost on account of Christ. Witness Lee completed his most comprehensive work called the Life Study of the Bible just before going to be with the Lord in 1997. This program combines short excerpts from his original speaking, along with some of our own comments and fellowship. And as always, we'd like to hear from you with your thoughts or answer any questions that might arise while you're listening. We'll repeat this contact information at the end of the program, but if you have a pen right now, jot down our toll-free number, which is 888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788. Or you can reach us by email to radio at lsm.org. Now, let's join today's program. We all remember the inspiring story of King Solomon in the Old Testament. As the new king over Israel, the Lord agrees to grant him one request, and Solomon touches the Lord's heart by asking for wisdom in order that he could rule over Israel in a just manner. For centuries, men have admired Solomon and longed to be like him and to have the wisdom that God blessed him with. Surely his wisdom was great, but consider for a moment how it compares to the wisdom that is our blessing as God's New Testament called ones. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, Paul writes, But to those who were called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And in verse 30, But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom to us from God both righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Bill Lawson has joined us today as we come to fellowship in 1 Kings chapter 4 and 5 about the rule and reign of Solomon. And, uh, Bill, we think of Solomon, we automatically think of wisdom, don't we? Really so. We think of glory, we think of splendor, we think of the one thing that he requested is wisdom, and God granted him that wisdom. So we all have a great appreciation of King Solomon in the Old Testament. You know, you read these chapters, and even at that time, Solomon's fame spread greatly because of his wisdom. In chapter 4, it says, Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the children of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. Of course, Egypt had been the pinnacle of the cultural and scientific development of the era. And then in verse 34, the last verse in the chapter, it says, And they came from all the peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. And he would sit and give lengthy discourses even on the natural things, on the trees and animals. And uh, the wisdom that God granted him seemed to be quite expansive, didn't it? Really so. When you you read the text there, it's amazing. I mean, he could have been probably at that time of the world's greatest botanist and biologist, (laughs) (laughs) ecologist. It's amazing he could discourse on wisdom. Of course, at that time, you know, we're talking a thousand years before Christ. No doubt his fame spread 
to quite a large area. So he had this well-renowned wisdom. He also had, as you pointed out, the glory, the splendor, the honor. It seems like this was really uh, God's people Israel at the peak of their attainment as the, uh, the kingdom on earth representing God. In all of their history, perhaps nothing excels this period of the rule of Solomon. And yet Solomon was unable to hold the heart of his people despite his great wisdom, and and as, you know, I think we also remember the stories of how he used this wisdom when presented with difficult problems to be a judge over Israel in a way that uh, made people marvel and no doubt caused them to uh, admire him, even love him, but he had uh, flaws in his being and flaws in his character, and these ultimately led to his uh, downfall, didn't they? Right. His downfall was quite tragic. On one hand, Solomon typifies Christ and the coming kingdom with his glory, with the honor, with the splendor, and so on. Yet his downfall was that not only the concubines and the immorality, but also the way he abused and mistreated his very people to provide all the food for him. You know, uh, every month of the year, he had a different one of his superintendents provide an enormous quantity of food and provisions for him, eventually he lost the heart of the people. That was quite tragic. We're going to touch that very point in this first segment. As you said, he had set things up in his government, and Witness Lee will go into a little detail about this government, and it was established in quite a solid way. He had uh, these 12 superintendents that had charge over all of the major areas of the necessities of the people as well as the necessities of the king's household. And it was the responsibility of each of these superintendents to provide one month's worth of provision for Solomon and all of his household. And so he had no direct income, but depended on the people providing his needs. And the size of his family had to be quite considerable when you uh, consider that included in this were these thousand concubines. So at least we have, uh, you know, a thousand plus some. So it was not a small burden, was it, to place upon the people? Right. He really levied a great burden upon the people. Eventually, he lost the heart of the people because of that. He did not care so much for their welfare, but there was a lot of abuse there that eventually brought in the downfall of his kingdom. I've picked another verse to read here, Bill, as we begin the program today, because I think the real intrinsic point, the real point of emphasis we want to come to, ultimately, we will spend a few minutes talking about this abuse of his power that did cause uh, the disaffection of the people. But within all of us, I think we have a longing to be great like Solomon, to have Solomon's wisdom. And yet in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus himself's uh, words concerning Solomon somewhat depreciate that kind of wisdom and even the glory that he enjoyed. In Matthew six twenty-eight. the Lord said, And why are you anxious concerning clothing? Consider well the lilies of the field, how they grow. They do not toil, neither do they spin thread. But I tell you that not even Solomon in all his glory was clothed like one of these. Less than the lilies of the field was Solomon's glory. Bill, why don't we join Witness Lee? Solomon got his kingdom established so he had a very strong organization of his governmental administration. Firstly, the officials, the priest, the scribes, the recorder, the captain over the army, the high priest, the overseer of the superintendent, the principal officer, 
the head of the household servants and the head of the forced labor. A good organization in his governmental administration. The, the 12 superintendents of all Israel who just serve Solomon's family. Each provided food for the king and his house for one month of the year. You think about it. In that family, needless to say others, only concubines is 1,000. So what a big family Solomon had. Yet Solomon and all the people around him, they don't make any money. They trust in the people for their necessities. So this became the factor that eventually the people rejected him. He was a kingly robber. He robbed his people as a king by his best organization. He purposely appointed 12 superintendents to take care of his family's monthly necessities. He was loving people to the uttermost, far beyond what they could bear. He lost his kingdom not only due to his indulgence and idol worship, but also deep, deep in his people's heart there was such a complaint. Bill, I want to repeat a word that Witness Lee just spoke. It was hard to understand. You said it early going in. I'm glad you did. The word was levying. He was levying or taxing his people beyond their measure. It's surprising for all of the wisdom that he possessed. This was not a wise way to conduct himself as king, was it really? And as we look back, No, Chris. Of course, this is a problem when we gain some kind of wealth, fame, splendor, worldwide honor and respect. It's easy for our heart to become uh, cold, and we can very easily become for ourselves. We no longer care for the people, but we just care to, uh, you might say, uh, aggrandize ourselves or to build up a kingdom mainly for ourselves at the expense of of those who are in the kingdom. And this is the real, again, tragedy that, uh, that Solomon fell into. Boy, you just put your finger on a very key point. It is uh, worth uh, spending at least just another moment on. We have a lot to cover today. But what fame can do, even to a servant of God, uh, it has a kind of a corrupting uh, effect, and we lose uh, touch with uh, our real God-given love and concern and care for the people that he has given us charge over. And this certainly was typified by Solomon. We have to say, I guess, in faithfulness that we see this uh, frequently, this pattern among many servants of the Lord, even in the New Testament, don't we? Mm -hmm. It's such a uh, peril, Chris, to amass fortunes and fame and popularity and want to be someone great. That can you say, easily corrupt our heart because these kind of things, they can puff us up. They can cause us to lose the real heart for God's people, and we only want to build up a kingdom for ourselves at the expense of those around us. And Solomon fell into this trap, 
Eventually, he lost the respect of the people. And eventually, of course, they lost the whole kingdom. That's right. Eventually, even they lost the land. They were carried away into captivity. So this is a real lesson for all of us. Let's come now to this matter of the wisdom that Solomon possessed. It was great. It was famous. As we said, he could hold court over even the kings of the earth that would come to hear him speak. As you said, now we were, you know, something like 3,000 years ago, the educational system was not well advanced and developed. And for one person to possess so much worldly or earthly knowledge had to have been fascinating to people. And they came and they listened. But comparatively, when we compare it to what is our portion in the New Testament economy, it really pales. And I think that's uh, what we want to focus on now the last couple of segments. A verse in John 16, actually two verses, uh, I think make this point very, very vividly. What is promised to us in the way of wisdom in our divine portion in the New Testament far surpasses even the great wisdom of Solomon. Listen to these verses, Bill. I have yet many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of reality, comes, he will guide you into all the reality. For he will not speak from himself, but what he hears he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are coming. This is greater than worldly, earthly wisdom, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Really so. All right, let's go back to Witness Lee. Solomon's God-given wisdom made him great in the world in his days. It was marvelous, but his wisdom is not spiritual. He is full of understanding, a big head, no doubt. His wisdom surpassed all the wise men of the East and of Egypt. But Solomon was wise absolutely physical, no spiritual element. He spoke 3,000 proverbs and wrote 1,005 songs. And he gave lectures about trees. He was wise in knowing all the plants. And also, he knew the animals on the field, birds in the air, and creeping things plus fish in the water. So all the peoples came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Don't forget that was 3,000 years ago among the human race. Still, it was quite primitive. Not much knowledge, not much education. But all of a sudden, here's a man can talk a lot about the trees, a lot about the birds, animals, and so forth. So he was on the top. But you have to know all his wisdom is absolutely different from the wisdom of Paul the Apostle. In the Bible, one was wise, full of wisdom, in the Old Testament. One was wise, full of wisdom in the New Testament. The one in the Old Testament was Solomon. The one in the New Testament was Paul. But their wisdoms are in different universe. Solomon's wisdom was all together in the physical universe. And all physical things will pass away. But Paul's wisdom 
Every bit is about the spirit, spiritualism. I like to see how Christ makes home in our heart. I like to know how to have our being in everything, in the spirit and according to spirit. I like Paul's epistles. Well, Bill, surely if there is a counterpart in the New Testament to Solomon in the Old Testament, it must be the Apostle Paul. So many pages in the New Testament given to this Apostle uh, because his understanding in the divine things, in the spiritual things, or what we would say today, God's economy, really set him apart, didn't it? Really, so if you look at Paul's 14 epistles, they are filled with wisdom, right? Yeah, right. All the way from Romans to the end of his 14 epistles, his wisdom is mainly Christ, because we know the source of wisdom is God himself. We all know that. Wisdom is not just a trait or an attribute or a characteristic of God. It is God himself, right? right? And we know, of course, God was embodied in Christ in incarnation. So that means God's wisdom today is embodied in his son Christ. Okay, and we realize that, you know, when the Lord began his ministry on the earth, he spoke a lot of wise words, right? Yeah. Words of wisdom like, you know, I am the light of the world, I'm the bread of life, I am, you know, the resurrection and the life. This is really wisdom. So when the Lord was living out his life on the earth, he was living out God's wisdom. Then, of course, we know that he was crucified in resurrection. He was transfigured into the life-giving spirit. Now, all of that is consummated in the spirit. So now, when we receive the Lord, then we receive that person into us, Christ, and he, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he's made wisdom to us. That's right. It's one thing for Christ to be wisdom in himself, and he was. But when that person we receive, and he is right, joins, unites with us, mingles with us, and so on, then that wisdom is made, Christ is made to us wisdom, righteousness for our past, right? Uh-huh. Sanctification for our present. Christian life, and even the redemption of our body for our future. So in that sense, Paul was full of God's wisdom. Why? Because he was full of Christ. And Paul speaks, as Witness Lee just mentioned, that Christ is desiring to make his home or his dwelling place even in our hearts. And his speaking on these things, so full of the divine wisdom, the spiritual wisdom. We don't hear Paul talking about trees and birds and animals so much, do we, Bill? No. He was focused and centered on God's economy, which is Christ himself. And that, of course, is the wisdom of God and becomes wisdom to us. This is a far surpassing kind of wisdom that we find in the New Testament. And I think, again, if I pick up another verse, this time from Matthew 11, uh, this brings us to a good point that we'll close our program with in this final segment today. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen one greater than John the Baptist. That means the Lord is saying here, at that time, John the Baptist was heralding the coming uh, of the new age, of a new economy. And the Lord says, among the sons of women, none have been greater than John the Baptist, which means John the Baptist is greater than Solomon, right? Yet, he who is least in the kingdom of the heavens is greater than he. That's us, isn't it? Right. Wow. Here's uh, Witness Lee with our final segment. Do you treasure this was by Solomon? The Lord Jesus says, whatever Solomon was adorned cannot compare with 
this little lily. Do you appreciate Solomon's glory? Then Peter says, all the flesh is like the grass, and its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass is there, and the flower fades up. So Solomon was nothing. Eventually, what he was, just vanity. Even he himself said this. Solomon said, everything under the sun is vanity. He recognized, he admitted, what he got, what he did, was just vanity. Without Christ, without the Spirit, it's nothing. What can Spirit, God's Spirit today, after the process? He is the life-giving Spirit. He is the all-inclusive Spirit. He is the compound Spirit. He is the anointing Spirit. He is the revealing Spirit. And He is even the consummated Spirit. And what wisdom is this? Well, Bill, we do have to give Solomon credit. At least he had the wisdom to realize, as he wrote himself in uh, chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And by that all, I'm sure he's including even this kind of physical, natural wisdom that he had uh, acquired, didn't he? Right. It's interesting, Chris, that no doubt Solomon was great, and no doubt the Jews and even all the world today, they still appreciate Solomon. But I think it was not easy for the people to take when here comes this man, the Lord Jesus on the earth, and then he says that there's one greater than Solomon, and that's John the Baptist. They were saying, what is this? We don't understand this. (laughs) Because they didn't realize the Lord was in a transition stage, putting an end to the Old Testament dispensation and bringing, ushering in the reality of the New Testament. So John the Baptist was like a, uh, what, a transition person between the Old and the New Testament. And no doubt Solomon was great, in the Old Testament time. But then the Lord all of a sudden says that uh, there's a greater one, and that's John the Baptist, greater than Solomon. That's, I mean, we could say, how could this be? But when we realize John was right there with the very person of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, he was recommending this person. That's so right. in that sense, greater. John is greater in that his relationship with the Lord Jesus is much closer than Solomon. Solomon was a thousand years before Christ. Here is John the Baptist, and he's walking with Christ. But even we could say in our situation, Chris, today, we're 2,000 years after Christ. So in a sense, we're greater in that sense (laughs) because this very one who is greater than Mm -hmm. Solomon, this one— is Christ is living within us as the Spirit. So we are closer to Christ than even John the Baptist because he's living within us, as Brother Lee mentioned. He's the life-giving Spirit. He's the indwelling one. He's the anointing one. He's the consummated Spirit. So in other words, the point is, whoever is the closest to Christ is greater in that sense. It's marvelous. It is marvelous. And we spend so much of our time longing for the outward evidence of God's presence in or near or around our lives. And certainly John the Baptist had that, but we're missing the real treasure, the greater treasure, and that is the indwelling Christ. As you pointed out, not even John the Baptist enjoyed. He enjoyed the Lord's presence outwardly, but following his death and resurrection and ascension, it's being poured out as the life-giving spirit. We have him within 
And this is the greatest treasure, isn't it, in the universe? Also, Chris, this is wisdom. I think this is Brother Lee's point here that, of course, Paul talked a lot about God's wisdom and so on with God planning and purposing his eternal economy in Ephesians. And then eventually, of course, Paul goes into the matter. Then he even, at one point, he's praying for the Ephesian believers that they would receive a spirit, of a wisdom. mingled spirit, right, of wisdom and revelation. Yeah. Revelation, of course, is on God's side. We need revelation from the Lord. But wisdom is on our side. Wisdom really is in our mingled human spirit, mingled with the Holy Spirit. We need the ability, Chris, to understand the divine things. That's wisdom. And then this very God himself who becomes revelation, right? That revelation we receive with a spirit of wisdom. So then Paul could go on and open the eyes of the Ephesian believers Mm. so that the very wisdom could now enter into them. Time's up, Bill, but this has been good fellowship. And I look forward to the next chance you and I have to come together in these uh, wonderful life studies from the Old Testament in the book of Kings, aren't they? Very much. All right, if you'd like to get the printed Life Study volume that contains both First and Second Kings, we invite you to contact us. Our toll-free number, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788. For Bill Lawson, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening today. You've been listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, produced by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee ministered the Word of God for over seven decades. Many consider these life studies as his seminal work, an exhaustive commentary on the entire Bible from the perspective of the believer's enjoyment and experience of God's divine life in Christ through the Spirit. If you'd like to find out more about Witness Lee, these life study messages or any of the materials provided by Living Stream Ministry, please visit our website, lsm.org. That's lsm.org. You can also email us, radio at lsm.org, or call us toll-free, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. Thanks for listening today.